We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking, oh yeah, can you feel it? Can you smell it? That's CCL fever. Oh, we all got it. We'll talk uh, Kong and Pulisic and Neymar and Tina and Weston and the exodus of Americans. Uh, Ronaldo, uh, not the Cristiano type, but a different Ronaldo. Eddie Murphy and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy. What is he? Oh, yeah. He's a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. You know him, you love him. Uh, Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday, April 5th in the year 2021? I'm doing okay. You might recall at the start of the NCAA tournament, I was actually quite pessimistic about Michigan's chances because we had lost our star player, Isaiah Livers, to injury. Uh, And so I didn't think I'd be that upset when we got knocked out, but... Uh, things unfolded in such a way where it actually was quite frustrating that we didn't reach the final four. We got to the elite eight. We faced an 11 seed UCLA and we were favored and, and lost by two at the buzzer. Um, but UCLA is certainly a worthy final four participant. They were involved uh, on Saturday night in one of the great games in recent college basketball history against Gonzaga. So hats off to them. Hats off to Gonzaga. Uh, but I must admit, watching that game, I was very sad that Michigan was not in it. A question for you, because I heard a, a, a lot of this uh, type of these proclamations on, on what this game was. Um, is it and was it hyperbole to call it that? I mean, you just did it right there. So obviously a certain part of you believes that it I mean, I, I, an incredible finish. And, and for those that don't know, a last second long distance bucket. That's probably not basketball jargon, but that's all I know from now. Right. Uh, but was it uh, one of the games for the ages? I think so. Yeah. Uh, to have a. Back and forth game like that uh, played at such a high level. Both teams uh, making incredible shots throughout, and then decided on a on a buzzer beater bank shot like that from from so far away. I think that's an all timer. I I watched. I don't watch a lot of basketball. I don't know much about basketball, but I did watch. And in early in the game, I was uh, you know asking myself questions that occur to me when I'm watching something or you know experiencing something that I haven't a whole lot of experience with. So a couple of things, um, you know, one that the continued difficulty that coaches seem to have with, uh, the wearing of the mask or the not wearing the mask. And secondly, um, and I, and I tweeted this out and it was amazing. The reaction, the, the ritual or the custom in basketball, whenever somebody falls that everybody gathers around and picks him or her up off of the, 
the court. Because I was saying that I, I didn't quite understand if there was an actual practical application. In this day and age of, of analytics and everything, you would think that somebody would have figured out that for every time you pick them up, they don't have to use this amount of force and weight, and therefore you're saving whatever it ends up being. But and I'm sure people out there have done something like that. But it doesn't really happen in soccer. And yes, soccer is not there's not as many stoppages. And I know that it, it, the joke writes itself about diving in soccer and everything like that. But is it... Do you, do you think that there's a practical application and, and benefit from doing something like that, picking up everybody every single time they fall? Because it's a really kind of choreographed type of moment in basketball. It fosters team unity, Alexi. Well, I wouldn't know anything about that, Mossy. <laughs> I don't know anything about supporting teammates or just humanity when it comes to that. And Twitter made me uh, very, very aware of the fact that I didn't uh, uh, know anything. But it was, uh, you know, it was it was fun to watch. I enjoyed. Uh, what's a what's a zag? I never got the the bottom of it. Do we know what a zag is? Do you know what a zag is? I don't. Good question. Oh, here we go. Here we go. See, these are the questions that, that that I have. These are the types of things that had I been. Well, whatever it is, they are one win away from completing the first uh, undefeated national championship season since, I believe, Bob Knight's Indiana Hoosiers in 1976. I think I have that right. The Invincibles? Can we call them the Invincibles? There we go. Much more impressive than the Invincibles. The Invincibles had all those draws. I know you can't have that in basketball. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Did you watch anything interesting, Mossy, out there? Besides the game? A few things. Uh, okay. What do you got for you know, You're always surprised to find out that I actually listen to what you say on these on this podcast. But I, I did watch, yes. on your recommendation, that Under Suspicion true crime doc uh, about the guy accused of murdering his wife. Thought it was okay. Nothing special. You know, we, mm-hmm. we've seen so many of these that they, it all kind of starts to blend together. Uh, I'm often running on season three of the Formula One uh documentary, which I love. I I told you I watched the first two seasons. I thought it was going to spur me on to start following Formula One. It didn't quite do that. But nevertheless, I do enjoy this documentary. And then I finished that uh, Spanish show Money Heist. And, you know, I I vaguely remember reading about this years back, but I had forgotten about it. So it was actually quite a surprise when it happened. Uh, Neymar makes an appearance on this show, uh, not as himself playing a a monk in Italy. And he appears in a couple of scenes late in season. (laughs) Really? The most random thing ever. But and, and by the way, more on Neymar later on in this podcast. I guess but uh so that was kind of funny oh my goodness now I, now I kind of want to see it all right so what did I watch all right let's get the the bad out of the way first okay and this is bad this is a big old heaping pile of bad uh Kong versus Godzilla first off I didn't even realize that this whole thing was a was a franchise and this thing has been going on and that's just me being unaware of stuff in in, in popular culture out there but the latest one is these two are back. These two monsters of uh, of the cinema and of uh, and of culture are back to fight it out. Oh my God! I could not wait until it ended. It was <laughs> what a what a colossal waste of time and energy and money uh, when it comes to uh, a movie. So two thumbs down for me. I'm sure there are others out there that that enjoyed it, but I just I just couldn't get into it. And maybe not having the backstory and maybe understanding more about the dynamic um, hurt, but it shouldn't hurt. You should be able to drop into any of these things. I mean, you can drop into any Star Wars and still be entertained and appreciate it for value. Have you seen it yet, Mossy? No. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you're going to. Uh, I will not. It's not up your alley. Okay. Not up my alley. Let's see. I watched something called uh, Irresistible. It's, uh, I think it was written by Jon Stewart. Uh, it stars Steve Carell, um, Chris Cooper, 
Mackenzie Davis. Uh, uh, it's really interesting political type of piece, a comedy, but uh, but uh, about politics and and in a greater sense, um, you know, our our different sides uh, of the world and the politics and the sides that we inhabit, and if the two ever do meet, I do recommend it. I thought it was it was good. It wasn't it wasn't preachy. Um, you know, there were some stereotypes, but it wasn't preachy, and it doesn't necessarily take a side. So I thought that was good. New Tina Turner biography. Tina Turner's 81 years old, Mossy. That means that when she was almost 50 years old, she did something incredible by becoming the greatest female rock star on the planet. And a rock star, okay? Not just a, you know, a, a singer or something, like a bona fide rock star. Um, just a wonderful examination of her incredible life, which has been told, and it's been told on the big screen and the, and the small screen, but this is a documentary that I think really does a good job of coalescing all of the parts of this incredible woman, uh, what she is on stage, and maybe more importantly, what she is uh, off stage. So that was really, really cool. And then in my effort to go back and rewatch things and see if they hold up, Beverly Hills Cop, a classic starting, starring uh, Eddie Murphy, I went back. It does hold up, um, and uh, it was fun to see Detroit in it. Um, and uh, Eddie Murphy is just, yeah, he's incredible. And, and there is a timelessness. I mean, so it would be done differently today, uh, obviously, but it doesn't, it doesn't get old. It doesn't get old seeing Eddie Murphy uh, do it. So definitely recommendations on all of those. I'm sure some of you have already seen uh, some of them. Anything else, Mossy, before we uh, head off here into uh, the show? No, that's it. All right. Uh, let's start it out and... Mossy, I, I can see by looking into your eyes through the Zoom that you have a fever, a good fever, all right? You have uh, CONCACAF Champions League fever. It is back. It is among us. It starts off this week. Again, the promise of not only reaching the promised land uh, in terms of a final, but becoming the champions of CONCACAF from an MLS perspective and a United States and Canada perspective, something that hasn't happened in the modern version of CONCACAF Champions League and only happened a couple times even in the previous version. Uh, it's back. It happens this week. We will be televising it, yours truly, and, and you and all of us uh, are working on it to give the viewer um, a peek into what's going on. It's really interesting because a lot of these teams, um, from an MLS perspective, we don't quite know what they are. It's, it's sometimes difficult to base everything on what they were last year with all the changes that come. The MLS teams are once again in preseason, which puts them behind the eight ball. But uh, I do think that when you look through these games and you see uh, what, is, what is on the docket here, there is plenty of reason to be optimistic uh, and excited, as there always, always has been. But certainly these matchups that we're going to go through here uh, – uh, I'm, I'm confident that we're going to see MLS teams and multiple MLS teams find a way through. We're starting in the round of 16 uh, this week, home and away. So we'll do stuff uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week uh, and next week. And then we go to quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals, uh, uh, obviously. Where do you want to start, Masi? Well, you're being modest. You said that a couple of MLS teams won a previous iteration of this uh, competition. You're actually... Uh, a member of the team that uh, won it last time an MLS team was CONCACAF champion back in 2000. The LA Galaxy, I believe, it defeated Olympia in the final. So it uh, is, but 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 it's looked at very very differently because it was hosted in a you know kind of a bubble situation. It was a very smaller type of tournament. Although you know, look when you know the, the World Cup was very very difficult, and people still say you won the World Cup. So yes, MLS teams 
have in the past been champions of CONCACAF, okay? But, you know, there's a name change, there's a, a structure change in terms of the tournament right now, and I think in the modern day, planting that flag, as we, as we talk about before, is a priority for Major League Soccer, and more of, more of a needing a necessity to check off that list to kind of grow on. If you want to be one of the great leagues in the world, you first got to be able to say that you are uh, the preeminent and best league um, and be able to show show that through the competition. And so far, MLS teams haven't been able to do that. But so you're not protective of that uh, record. It's not like when the last MLS team gets knocked out each year, you're popping the champagne 72 Dolphin style. You would love to see an MLS team go on and win uh, this version of the competition, the CONCACAF. I, I am, I am a, <laughs> a man who is comfortable with my past, okay? I am a man who, well, certainly made mistakes and certainly if I had to do it over again, would do some things differently along the way for the most part. I let the chips fall where they may and let this let this new generation, I get excited when a new generation of player and teams and leagues or anything out there uh, has success. And I would love to see it. I also know what it would mean to Major League Soccer. Look, it's not, not going to solve everything, but it's just an, it would be a nice little thing to not have to argue that because so many times when people are arguing, they say, hey, you can't even be champions of, uh, of CONCACAF. But certainly we have had MLS teams in the past that have, uh, that have been champions. Before, what, uh, what before tick, we uh, tick- dig into the matchups, just one larger point on the uh, yeah. schedule. Uh, so uh, you mentioned the round of 16 gets underway this week and then the return legs are next week. And then the quarterfinals are a couple weeks after that uh, in late April. Uh, but then this competition goes away. The semifinals don't occur until August, which is on the other side of the Gold Cup and Nations League and all that. And then the final is in October. And it's interesting because we're once again kicking off while MLS teams are still in preseason mode. And, you know, we have these sort of evergreen topics in U.S. soccer, whether it's promotion, relegation, pay for play or the calendar. And Mm -hmm. the calendar topic has come back to the forefront very much here in the wake of this Olympic qualification failure in which the U.S. sent this MLS based squad. Lots of guys that were in preseason form. And so uh, we could sort of bring that to this competition. you know, how concerning is it to have MLS team going into this in preseason form? And is 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 what we saw in the Olympic qualifying tournament? And and if, say, MLS teams were to struggle in this upcoming round of this competition, is that reason enough for you to consider the whole calendar thing again? Is that, does that add fuel to the fire of critics who think the, the U.S. should adopt a more European calendar? What do you no, because I still don't think winning CONCACAF Champions League or making the Olympics, as important as they may be, that importance outweighs the the challenges of shifting the calendar. Yes, shifting the calendar makes certain things easier, but it also makes other things more difficult. I mean, it's not just as if as if back in 1996 a bunch of owners got together and said, "Let's make this league and here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the absolute opposite of everybody else." Just because why? Well, because we're in that case in that moment, we're because we're Americans and screw the rest of the world. They don't know what they're doing. No. There, there, there was reasons, there are practical reasons why, uh, why this exists. Now, it doesn't mean that that can't be examined and looked at as a possible, uh, possible change, but I don't think that that's happening anytime soon for the reasons that, that, you, that you are saying, you know, to, to put us in a better situation to win CONCACAF Champions League, which I know is important. I don't think it's that, that important to, do, to change, you know, what 25 years of history have, uh, have established. The irony of all this is that the Mexicans are also unhappy with the calendar because it creates this crazy fixture pileup for their clubs 
in the month of April when they're in the home stretch of the Clausura and getting ready for the Ligia. And so I listened to this Football Picante podcast a couple of days ago, and they were railing about this. And this one guy concocted his whole conspiracy theory that Sunil Galati now essentially runs CONCACAF <laughs> behind the scenes. And so everything's going to be done to the benefit of MLS teams and to the detriment of League MX sides, which uh, I didn't quite follow his train of logic. But nevertheless, they're unhappy too. So everybody's complaining about the calendar in some fashion. Oh, <laughs> I sip on the Liga MX tears. <laughs> As they roll down the face, I just reach up with my finger and violate social distancing rules. And I just grab a tear and then I just lick it. <laughs> well, we do have one MLS versus League MX matchup in this round. It is Toronto FC who are technically representing Canada, as you always point out in all our meetings whenever we allude to Toronto FC as being an MLS representative in this competition. But so they, they drew the, the short straw here because when, when you're going into this competition still in your in preseason, the last thing you want to do is have to face a Mexican side. And they face a Leon team who are the reigning Mexican champions. They won the Apertura. They actually made a lousy start to this Klaus Huda, but uh, they found their form. They've won three in a row. They beat Toluca um, last night and, and they've surged into the top half of the table. So this is a rough matchup uh, for Toronto who have a new coach and Chris Armas and they do have the reigning MLS MVP in uh, Pozuelo and, and a lot of experience guys like Bradley and Josie Altador. Nevertheless, uh, this is a tough one for Toronto FC. Yeah? It is. It's a tough one. Uh, did you see that Lyon game last night? I don't know if you saw it, but it was just a nutty uh, penalty kick where <laughs> the goalkeeper saved the ball off one post. Then the rebound was shot and then saved off the other post that then finally came back to the penalty shooter who put it in. It was just a, a nutty, nutty, uh, nutty game. But yes, um, you know, Toronto has their hands uh, has their hands full. I mean, considering you could have pulled uh, you could have pulled you know, teams from Nicaragua or Dominican Republic or, or or Haiti and stuff like that to come up in that round of 16 against Liga MX teams, which we all know we're going to, we're going to be the most, uh, uh, be the most difficult. Yes. New coach though. And you know, that's, you know, that applies for um, both uh, Toronto FC and Atlanta United. I, I'm excited about this week because I finally get to see some of these teams in real situations. And I know they're not at their, at, at the top level, but at least I get to get a feeling for what they're going to be, in particular for, for teams that have new coaches. Toronto FC and Chris Armas being given this opportunity up there. What does Toronto FC look like under Chris Armas in 2021? Uh, what, does, uh, what does someone like Atlanta United, which we talk so much about and had such a horrid type of last year and change, you know, changed the coach and now Heinze comes in. What does he look like? I mean, this is a hell of a way to start off your coaching career in uh, in Major League Soccer for a Major League Soccer team in CONCACAF Champions League. But if he can come out and kind of announce his presence with authority, that would be, uh, that would be something uh, interesting. So I'm just really excited to see what these MLS teams look like. By the way, a week before MLS kicks off, which happens uh, next weekend, so it'll be it'll be fun to uh, to do these games and see what they look like. But some of them are up against them, like up against it, like you said. Yeah, Atlanta is the other team that that got a very tough draw here. Alajuelense are a very good team. They're unbeaten in their last twenty five matches in all competitions dating back to last season. They have uh, seven players who were on the Costa Rica Olympic qualifying squad that we just watched in that tournament. Plus guys like Brian Ruiz and Johan Venegas were on the Costa Rica senior team. Uh, it's interesting because. 
because Atlanta, you might recall, didn't release players for that Olympic qualifying tournament. They deprived Jason Christ of Miles Robinson, George Bellow, and Brooks Lennon precisely because they didn't want those three players to miss this match. So uh, they will have them available. We'll see how that goes. And yeah, Atlanta are absolutely fascinating to me. Obviously, Gabriel Heinze in charge now. He basically took a van to Argentina and, and, and just brought back a bunch of guys. All their signings have been Lisandro Lopez, uh, veteran striker, uh, Santiago Sosa and Franco Ibarra, two young midfielders who are very highly touted. Looks like this Alan Franco center back is on the way as well. But so much of it is going to come down to Joseph and whether he's back. If he's back, then they're back. And if he's not, it, then it is it, it is so, you know, it, it, it is precarious because if he's back and even look, let's be honest, if he's back and even close to Joseph Martinez, then you have yourself a potential MVP and someone that you can consistently count on to score goals because he has proven it, okay? But if he's not, uh, they, you know, they just went through a whole year where they, they lived a situation without him, and they proved that they can't live without him. So they, 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 they better feel like he is back and that he is going to continue to provide and, and, and prove that he's one, if not the best attacker in Major League Soccer, because if not, I don't know what they're falling back on. And that's why it's going to be interesting to see what Heinze does, how this team looks, what kind of what kind of leadership he shows. And does this team look like it's it's back on course? I mean, we know with Heinze, they have, you know, fundamentally kind of gone back to that well, you know, mentioned, uh, you know, mining South America. Um, and one th- thing that they had kind of gone away with it's got to translate into the actual uh, actual results there. Uh, the Philadelphia Union also is interesting too. Um, you know, as they come up against uh, Saprissa, uh, another another very uh, good team. Yes, yes, it's not a Liga MX team, but doesn't mean that they can't absolutely lose to this team. The Philadelphia Union are in this situation where everything was about 2020 and what they did, and it was this coming out party, and and you know they won Supporter Shield. And then, you know, you start to lose some players because if, if you're good, people are going to come and, and pick off players and then just the, the natural uh, progress of, uh, of any MLS team. And you end up looking very, very different. You don't have McKenzie. You don't have uh, Brendan Aronson. And those are, you know, some big pieces. And so can they go back to that well and either fortify with, with, from within or make smart signings that keep them on that level? And a whole other level here because this is – you know, this is some uncharted type of territory and some rarefied air uh, for Philadelphia. I hope so. I hope so because they are they are fun. But I I fear I fear a regression um, coming for Philadelphia. Yeah, Anthony Fontana is a player that they're they're really counting on the season to step up. And you're right. If you adopt this sort of selling team youth development mentality, then you have to have that sort of pipeline where when you sell one guy, there's already another young player ready to step in. Um, So I I agree with you. Philadelphia are going to be fascinating. Uh, I am incredibly high on Columbus. First off, I think they got a nice draw here facing Nicaragua inside Real Esteli. No disrespect to them, but uh, that shouldn't be a problem. And for, for a team that already won MLS Cup last season to then add Kevin Molino and Bradley Wright Phillips to that attack, they already include Zella Rayan and Zardes. Um, and obviously Nagby in the midfield, uh, you know, you have Nagby and our tour projected to start. And then that Aiden Morris kid who was spectacular in MLS cup against Seattle. So just talent up and down that roster. I am super high on them. I think they're, they're a legit threat to win this competition. Caleb Porter said, Oh, now they're definitely going out. <laughs> um, all right. So let's go through these games here. Uh, and let's, uh, let's pick who goes through. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and say that you got Cruz Azul beating, I wish I could pronounce this. Uh, uh, 
Arkahai. Yeah, from Arkahai. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just to do a quick bit on the Liga MX size before we go through all the matchups, you'll notice okay. no Tigres. Uh, in the UEFA Champions League and the Copa Libertadores, the defending champion gets an automatic berth the following season. That is not the case in CCL, and Tigres didn't qualify via Liga MX. So the yep. holders what are have not you done for me lately? crown. Andre Pierginiak will be watching CCL from his couch. But you do have... The two teams, Cruz Azul and Club America, have been by far the two best teams in this Clausura. They are one and two in the standings, like 10 points clear of everybody else. Uh, Club America fired Miguel Herrera the day after that embarrassing semifinal elimination to LAFC. They brought in former Real Madrid manager Santiago Salari, who's done a fantastic job. Um, for Cruz Azul, Roberto Siboldi resigned after that unbelievable Ligue elimination to Pumas last season. They had an assistant on the bench when they lost to LAFC in the quarters, but they've since brought in Juan Reynoso, this Peruvian, who's done an excellent job. So they are two dynamite teams that are also a legit threat to win it as well. And then you've got Leon, I mentioned, who are the reigning Mexican champions are in good form and Monterrey who are now coached by Javier Aguirre former Mexico national team boss he was on the bench for the Dos Acero against the U.S. in 2002 and they're in third place in the clausura and they have tremendous pedigree in this competition they've won it four times including most recently in 2019 so no Tigas but it is a strong Mexican quartet still they're going to be an absolute handful uh, for those MLS sides but yeah we can go through the matchups if you want all right so no chance uh, for uh, Arcajay Football club uh, no out chance, of Haiti. and particularly since their uh, their home leg tomorrow was moved to the Dominican uh, Republic because their stadium didn't meet the minimum requirements by Concacaf. So Cruz Azul thrilled with that. It's a much easier trip. There are direct flights from. Uh, Mexico City to Santo Domingo, no security concerns. You recall the Belize national team bus was attacked by a motorcycle gang in Haiti recently, so nobody wants to deal with that. So uh, Cruz Azul will we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah, that's a whole. Game. Yeah, I mean that's a whole other element that we, we we haven't really touched on. I'm glad you I'm glad you did. Is you know these these teams are still living in the in the in the age of COVID and all of the restrictions and the problems uh, and and the limitations as to what they can do and uh, as our you know Canadian teams and and all that kind of stuff. All right, so you got Cruz Azul coming through there next. Uh, Toronto FC versus Lyon. Yeah, I like Lyon. They, uh, they're really emphasizing this competition. They went out uh, in this round to LAFC last year. Recall they beat them 2-0 at home and then lost 3-2 at Bank of California, a game that, frankly, on balance of play, LAFC should have won like 6-0. They battered them for 90 minutes. So, Lyon, that's been stuck in their craw for a year, and they're looking for uh, another crack at an MLS team in this round, and, and they get it, and I think they're going to beat uh, Toronto FC. And, and that one, if I'm not mistaken, is is also in Florida, right? I think it's in Florida or something like that. Well, we can we can check yeah, on that, but check that out. they play um, they play Toronto is the the quote unquote home team first against uh, Leon. See, I don't think they're coming through either in this uh, in this home and away type of situation. I don't think that Toronto is up to it. I just think Leon's a better team. And you know, the luck of the draw. They they're facing a very very good team right off the bat. And well, all the re- different reasons that we talked about it's going to be difficult. For I have I have the first leg in Leon, and then the second leg. You're right. Is at Orlando City's training ground. It sounds like. Is uh, it? Something like that. But well, okay. Definitely not in Toronto. So yeah. Uh, okay. Well, probably everything yeah. else. So they look, don't even have like a legit home game in this tie. So yeah, that that's rough for Toronto. But still, you know, you go on the road and you get yourself a good result. Things can uh, things can happen. I just think it's a bridge too far for Toronto at this uh, at this juncture. Okay, uh, Monterrey against uh, Atletico. Pantoja, Pantoja. 
Yeah, they are uh, Dominican Republic side. There should be no problem for Monterrey. Monterrey have a striker, Rogelio Funes Mori, who is Argentinian, represented them at under 20 level many years ago, and now uh, wants to play for Mexico. He's about to become eligible. Tata Martino is a big fan. And with all the uncertainty surrounding Raul Jimenez, there's actually talk that this guy, Funes Mori, could be the guy leading the line going into World Cup qualifying, the octagonal and all that. So uh, U.S. fans, even for that reason, if you want to scout this matchup to get a look at this Funes Mori, uh, We'll see if he plays, though, because there's a lot of talk that a couple of these Mexican teams that got easier matchups in this round might rotate their squad and not play all their guys. So we'll see. But uh, in theory, Funes Mori, if he's leading the line, that's a guy to keep an eye on. All right. And then we move on to your uh, oh, your, your, the, the team you're in love with, the Columbus, Columbus Crew against Real Esteli. Right? Uh, Columbus is a juggernaut. They will demolish Real Esteli over Rouse Deli over both legs. I got Columbus also. Um, I do have Monterey, like uh, like you had said. All right, Union versus Saprissa. Yeah, Saprissa actually not in great form. That you're right. They have great pedigree. They've been Concacaf champions three times, most recently in 2005. But uh, they're winless in their last seven. Uh, so I'd, I'd be inclined to pick the Union, but man, there's just so much uncertainty around them. With as you mentioned, the players they lost in the off season. So. Uh, yeah, this is a tough one. I'll I'll go I'll go the Union on this one, but it's not with a lot of conviction. Uh, where's that game? That first game? Do you have that one? Uh, where that is? You're gonna go Union. Uh, uh, first game in Costa Rica and Saprissa. All right. I mean, I think that benefits the MLS teams to just go down and batten down the hatches and just see what yeah. you can get and kind of get your get your feet. Um, I think I'm gonna go Saprissa. I think I'm gonna go Saprissa. Eh. All right. Atlanta United Alajuelense. There we go. Yeah, I mentioned earlier, I think this is a tough matchup for uh, Atlanta. Uh, I'm going to go Alajuelense. They're in great form. And Atlanta, I think, could be a very good team at some point this season when Joseph gets his legs completely back and they integrate all these new players. But I don't know if it's going to be right off the bat game one. So I think Alajuelense will get a result here and then and then go to uh Atlanta and, and finish them off, and I think they will advance. Oh, I think Atlanta comes out fighting. They say, this is 2021. This is no longer 2020. We're back, baby. I got Atlanta United, uh, Atlanta United going through against Alajuelense. Um, okay, America and Olympia, the Paraguay, I think, right? No, uh, Honduras, sorry. Uh, yeah, very high on this uh America team under Santiago Salada. They're playing very well. Uh, they have, of course, a young man, Sebastian Cordova, who we just watched uh, be uh, one of the stars and the top scorer at this CONCACAF Olympic qualifying tournament. They also have Giovanni Dos Santos, who's got, who got his name back on the score sheet this past weekend. But yeah, lo- loads of talent up and down that roster. They have something to prove uh, the way they were knocked out by LAFC in, in the semifinals last season. So yeah, I think, and you know, a coach like Salati, I think will take this competition seriously. His background, mm-hmm. Real Madrid having won way for Champions League titles, Champions League is in his blood. So um, yeah, I, I, I medica, no problem here. Me too. Uh, and then the Portland Timbers versus Marathon, uh, which is a club out of, uh, in San Pedro, De Sula. Yeah, we and, end with uh, two Honduran sides. Although, let me circle back to the last one. I, I don't want to be too disrespectful of Olympia. They, they have. No, you already have. You already too. have. It's... They did knock out Seattle uh, in this round last season. So, 
Uh, let's not be totally dismissive of them. But uh, but no, I do like America in that one. Uh, and then I, I like Portland in this one. Uh, Marathon, they got to win this past weekend, but they've been in bad form. They were winless in six before that. Uh, the interesting thing here is they have a, a manager, an Argentinian, Hector Vargas. He was the uh, Olympia manager back in 2014 uh, when they knocked Portland out in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League group stage. And he's really been talking at, that up, acting as if he had some sort of like special understanding of how to face MLS teams and really touting his record against MLS sides in this competition. And he's gone out to really talk about how, oh, it's great to face an MLS team in this round because they're in preseason form and you can take advantage of that. Uh, so yeah, Hector Vargas doing a lot of chirping, uh, but still, I mean, Portland, a uh, lot of talent, uh, obviously Valeri. Uh, I'm not, is Sebastian Blanco, do we know if he's all the way back? I'd have to we, check we, we don't know, but you know, they still got Valeri. By the way, look for a uh, uh, interview with uh, Diego Valeri, uh, out there that I did. Uh, it was fun talking to him for about 15 minutes about not just this season, but just his life and, and the decisions that he made to come over and just a just a class person and an, obviously an incredible um, addition to American soccer and obviously Major I guess League uh, soccer. Blanco is out. Is that what Jeff Hernandez is trying to communicate to us? He's out. Out, baby. Out. Well, so, okay, that, that doesn't... No, they, uh, well, no, no. My interview with him is out. My interview oh, with Diego Valeri is out. Okay. So you can definitely uh, find that. Yeah, yeah. Don't be spreading rumors about yes. uh, Blanco. We'll see. But they, there's plenty of talent over there. Oh. So wait, this so this coach once once beat Seattle or once beat Portland? Well, he he's he's faced Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver and, and won games against all three. Uh, <sighs> Portland... He actually, hey, Eric, hey, listen, if Eric Winola can win a game against Portland, then it's, it's really not that big a deal. Let's be honest. Yeah, okay. Portland, he actually eliminated back in the 2014 group stage. It came down to the final group match in Honduras. Olympia beat Portland 3-1, to one, and that sent them through and knocked Portland out of the competition. So the Honduran media has been touting that in the last couple of days, and Hector Vargas has also been bringing that up. So uh, we'll see if Portland can get a little revenge here if this is even up. Okay, so the, the only one that we, that we differ on is you have – Philadelphia Union and I have Saprisa, right? Yes. Is that the only one that we differ on? All right. I mean, it could it could certainly go either way. I, I'm happy to be wrong. I hope that Philadelphia, like I said, is is uh, is raring to go in 2021, and they just piggyback off their off their success in 2020. But you know, it's hard. I mean, you, that you know, that's the thing. When we see these teams, the the opportunity to play in this tournament comes from you know, the work and the success of sometimes very, very different looking teams that, uh, that ultimately show up. But once again, is that it's that opportunity and that, that golden prize awaits somebody. And I think we talked about this before, as we get into this uh, tournament, when this first, the tournament first started, there was this kumbaya collective type of feel in how we supported um, American teams, Canadian teams, and certainly MLS teams that have been in it. And I think that that is kind of gone out of the way. And MLS, hashtag MLS4, insert what team it is ever playing. And I think that's gone out of the way. I think that all these teams involved, you know, they want to do something that, as we said, hasn't been done in a long time. And for a lot of people, just hasn't been done yet, and certainly in the modern modern form. And they don't, you know, it's a race to the moon, and you want to be first. And you're you're not going to take any pride or be happy when somebody else does it because it is that feather in your cap that you'll be able to always have. And you hope that it starts more and more of this. But our, our, our hopes and dreams have been crushed more often than not. Uh, no, always. Uh, and certainly in, uh, in, in the future, hopefully we can have that, uh, that moment. So we'll see how, it's, uh, how it goes. Uh, myself, uh, I'll, be, I'll be working with the good uh, uh, and great 
Keith Costigan, um, uh, your friend Stuart Holden and John Strong and others will be uh, putting together all of these uh, games for you. You can find them all there on the uh, on the Fox networks. You need to pl- plug anything regarding our coverage, Mossy, with uh, of, of CCL before we move on to some other things here. No, oh, yeah, we're, we're showing all these games. We have a triple header tomorrow: uh, Marathon Portland, um, Alajuelense Atlanta, and uh, Arcajay Cruz Azul. The three games tomorrow, then. Uh, Wednesday, what do we got? We got Surprise uh, Philadelphia, we got uh, Leon Toronto, and we've got uh, Olympia America. And then Thursday, it's the Real Esteli Columbus and Atletico Pantoja Monterrey. All those matches, most of them on FS1, but might be only one or two that are on FS2. So yeah, we're, we're going all out here. I know you're calling with Keith the Alajuelense Atlanta game, right? I am, yes. Which, yeah, I'm, I'm like really looking forward to that one. You, you drew a good one there, so... Um. I don't know if well, that's by luck or they wanted you. to put the A team on, you know, the most intriguing match. I don't know what, <laughs> what process. But. I, I, I enjoy calling games. I mean, I've done it for many, many, many times over the year, but obviously I make my bones in, uh, uh, in a studio setting and it's where, where I love to be and certainly where I spend most of my time. And I, I would suppose I'm most comfortable with, and people ask me all the time about the difference between the two. And um, yes, there, it's a different type of performance, a, a very different type of performance, a, a different type of preparation, but I, I still enjoy it. And you certainly have, just in terms of time, obviously you have a whole lot longer and bigger type of palette to paint, but you also are you know, reactive to what is ultimately going on the field. So um, I change. Even people have said that you know the the timber, my voice, and you know it's it's different than when when I'm actually being seen on television. So you know, you, yeah, you change, and I think I think anybody that does this does it differently when they're calling a game as opposed to when they're working in studio. So you don't have to look at my face, which I guess is a good thing for some people out there. When uh, all you have to do is listen to my dulcet tones um, and then scream and yell at me, as many are apt to do. Uh, all right, Masi, anything else about CCL? Uh, no, that's it. All right. Before we uh, we leave this segment, uh, we are, as we mentioned, on the verge of a new MLS season. We're going to do a uh, preview next week of what we are excited about and what's happening with Major League Soccer as it kicks off next week. And certainly from a Fox perspective, we're going to be all over it. And I can't wait. Lots of national games uh, out there and many actually on on Big Fox. But as we go through uh, today, another announcement regarding the rules and regulations that I just wanted to drop in. Uh, MLS is going to have concussion substitutes uh, going forward this year. And so they just announced their rules um, and regulations as it applies to substitutes. We had talked, I remember Mossy last year when we were knee deep in, in COVID, we were talking about and kind of thinking about the things that were being implemented relative to the new world we were living in and what may stick with, with all of this stuff that got thrown against the wall. And I think a lot of people, including us, looked at the five substitution thing as that might be something that people say, hey, you know, that wasn't such a bad idea. And that actually kind of worked out. And we saw coaches react differently. And we saw, you know, we, we even, I think, you know, asked, asked Klopp at different times, he, you know, the strategy behind it. So that's something that's going to continue on for the foreseeable future. And MLS is going to continue to do that. So the five substitutes uh, continues on. But then they've also added concussion substitutions. And so how this is going to work is 
Each team has up to two concussion substitutions, okay? If at a point you use that, it's not one of your five, but if you do use it, uh, the opposition gets to add another substitute. And your five, by the way, like always, uh, you have three different opportunities to make them, not counting the, uh, the halftime uh, break. So, you know, this is, this is going to be interesting. You know, we saw when MLS implemented VAR how they went about doing it. Uh, I have no doubt that Jeff Agus, who is leading this charge, uh, has thought about how they're going to do it. There are going to be different colors associated with which type of substitution is going to happen. So we will see on the sideline different colors that are being handed in to the officials. Uh, another thing to remember is that the decision as to whether they are making a, co- a concussion substitute is not uh, done by the officials on the field. It is done by the, the technical staff of that team that assess the situation. Now, why is this interesting or important? Because, you know, in the back of everybody's mind, as we have thought about these different things, and as athletes and sports people are apt to do, we're always looking for a little bit of advantage. And I think that there are safeguards to, um, to guard against people using this in a way that it was not in intended. Um, but we are going to see, as this is implemented, some different things where we say, well, is it being implemented correctly? Maybe they got to tweak some things here. Are, is this team using it unfairly and using it to a, a disadvantage? Look, I would never say you know, that somebody who has a concussion, uh, that it's unfair to substitute that player. But you know, how are players going to react knowing uh, that they're, they're much more likely to get taken out because of the ease in which teams can adapt to that type of uh, uh, scenario. So all of those things are, are going to be in play, but it's going to be interesting to see, and I just wanted to mention that as we go forward. So when MLS does kick, kick off next weekend, these are the rules that are, uh, are going to be in place. And who knows? As we've seen, they might get tweaked as we go on uh, through the season. Uh, Mossy, anything about that before we move on? No, just to say we've come a long way in, in concussion awareness. Uh, you know, there's a famous Harry Redknapp story. Uh, one of his players uh, got hit in the head and, and the assistant came to Harry Redknapp and said, he doesn't even know who he is. And Redknapp said, tell him he's Pele and get him back out there. You know, that used to be kind of the attitude towards concussion. It is. I mean, you know, it was, it was you know, we've progressed. We have evolved as as human beings and certainly – you know, the, our medical understanding of what happens to people's brains in these types of situation has made us not just think twice, but examine what we have been doing and saying, well, why were we doing that? Well, we were doing it because we didn't, we didn't necessarily know better. And thankfully, these types of protocols and these types of things are going to save people. They're going to save people from, um, from problems that they experience in the near term and in, in the, uh, in the short term, but also in the long term, because that's even, that's even worse. If you are doing something right now in our sport that is going to hurt you after that sport, because we all know a, the a career is just a small period of your life, but if you're doing things that, is, that are going to be harmful to you as you continue on in life, that's, you know, that's a problem. So this is, uh, this is good stuff, but it is a work in progress like everything else. So we'll see how it, is, uh, it ultimately gets uh, implemented. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, oh yeah, we'll take a little spin around Europe because there was all sorts of stuff going on over there. Don't go away. Okay, we're back. Uh, let's take a look at the rest of the world uh, and all of the different soccer stories that were going on. And there were lots of them on and off the field. Uh, where do you want to start first, Masi? Um, Spain? Where? 
Where do you want to go? Yeah, let's let's go Spain first, and let's go okay. results first before we get to some of the really terrible stuff that happened in Spain this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about this uh, last week, how th- this could be the round where the, the, the title race really caught fire. And, and sure enough, Atletico Madrid did lose 1-0 away to Sevilla, uh, while Real Madrid uh, took care of business in their game, 2-0 win over Abar. And so Real Madrid are now just three points back with nine rounds left. And Barcelona played today home to Valladolid. Ronaldo owned Valladolid. I know you have some thoughts on <laughs> the Brazilian Ronaldo's uh, uh, work as an owner, but uh, we'll get to that later. But uh, if, Bayern, if, if Barcelona take care of business today, they will be one point back of Atletico. And the interesting thing here is that uh, Real Madrid hosts Barcelona next weekend in the Clasico. And this is trending so far away from Atletico and so much towards these two other teams that people are pointing to that game as the title decider, even though they're not even, neither team is in first place right now. It's still Atletico, but there's such a feeling that they're both going to blow by Atletico. And I have to say, I I feel that way too. I mean, I know early in the season, I was banging the drum for Atletico, but uh, there's just no way. This is going to be Real Madrid and Barcelona. Tortoise tortoise and the hare. Wow. (laughs) I mean, look, it it is just impending doom when it comes to Atletico Madrid. You know when, um, I mean, we've probably already passed this, but certainly at this point, you know when you go, when you gamble, uh, when you when you play blackjack and uh, the cards get dealt and then the uh, the dealer asks for insurance because you kind of see what the, what the lay of the land is and you can kind of see the way that it's going. This would be a moment that if you are Atletico Madrid and you, uh, Atletico Madrid and you had them, that you would certainly do well to ask for insurance right now because I don't think, uh, to your point, I think they probably feel it too, despite where they actually are 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 sitting. I mean, this was it, it, it's it's still Atletico Madrid, so it's not complete rarefied air, but it still shouldn't be a surprise that you know the the two teams that are come barreling up behind um, are doing it and are playing the long game and have played it very, very well. And when it all comes down to it, I don't think you or I or anybody else out there is going to be surprised when either Real Madrid or Barcelona are sitting at the top of the heap. And Atletico Madrid just says, yeah, but you remember the fall and you remember <laughs> the spring when we, 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 the better times. All right. So, so how does this end up for you then ultimately, if you have to predict now, speaking of betting? I would say Barcelona, which is Amazing. You know, there's, really? there's this disconnect. The, the the media outside of Spain still thinks Barcelona or this club in turmoil. And I still get people coming up to me and saying, boy, can you believe the mess at Barcelona? Meanwhile, in Spain, the sense is that they've kind of righted the ship here. And this is trending towards them winning a league and cup double this season. They just elected a, a president that, that Messi really likes. And so th- this whole Messi thing might become something of an anti-climax this summer where he might just resign with them and not even entertain any other offers. I, I kind of think we're trending that way. Yeah, Barcelona... I, I, they're my pick to win La Liga, and then they're in the Copa del Rey final, which w- if you want to transition to that, because uh, that was the other big happening this weekend. Um, Real Sociedad won the 2020 Copa del Rey title, defeating their Basque rivals, Athletic Bilbao. Uh, it's kind of funny. They, they These two teams reached the final last season, and it was such a, a historic occasion for these two arch rivals to be facing the Copa del Rey final that they told the uh, the Spanish Federation, we'll wait as long as possible to play this game in the hopes that the COVID situation will improve and we'll actually be able to have a packed stadium for it. Now, that was not to be, unfortunately. Uh, so they finally, they had to play it at some point. So they finally went ahead and played it. Uh, 
uh, this past weekend, Real Sociedad won 1-0. It's their first trophy in 34 years since they won the Copa del Rey in 1987. But it's kind of funny. Athletic Bilbao have also reached this season's Copa del Rey final. So here they lose this final. And now two weeks from now, they face Barcelona in the 2021 Copa del Rey final. So I don't think I've ever seen a team in the same month have two different finals of the same competition. But <laughs> Hey, listen, we live in strange times, Mossy. So we see all sorts of – speaking of, of – of, of, Seeing things. Did you see the coach, uh, the manager for Real Sociedad, uh, celebrating at the press conference? He is a, um, a a lifelong fan of the actual club, and he was what? Um, I think it's hold on. He was 15 years old the last time they won a trophy, and so in the press conference after, like you mentioned, that 34 year drought. He put on the jersey. He had the scarf, and we're actually going to talk about this later on in the pod a little bit about connection to clubs, uh, having it or not having it. And obviously he had it. He had it. it was just a, a fun moment with the recognition that in our heart of hearts, we are all, we are all fans of the game, some closer than others. And, and to, for him to be able to experience this from the unique position that he was, but also be that fan and to see that, that part of him out there was really cool. Oh, absolutely. And, and and David Silva adds to his legend by going to Sociedad this season and helping them win their first trophy in 34 years. We know everything he won with Manchester City in the last decade. So um, so hats off to him. So, yeah, that was so uh, that was the good in Spain. Do you want to unfortunately? Yeah, yeah. Like, but they're, they're they're you know, there continues to be problems. So, yeah, lay it on us. So in the uh, Valencia Cadiz game, a Valencia player, Mukhtar Diakabi, was racially abused. Valencia walked off the field. Uh, the game was interrupted for 20-something minutes, but then Valencia came back on the field without Diakabi and played out the rest of the match. And everybody asked him why, and they said, well, we were, we were told that we would have to forfeit and, and risk incurring some sort of penalty. And so they claimed that Diakabi wanted them to go back out there uh, and play the rest of the game, but you're sort of hearing some conflicting reports on that. Where and then you're you're even hearing some conflicting reports on whether they 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 were threatened with a forfeit and a punishment. So the long and short is people are being very critical of Valencia here for coming back and playing the rest of this match and feeling like they didn't show a lot of backbone. Even if say they would have had to forfeit the game, what's three points in the grand scheme of things when you could have made a, a stand on this horrible issue? And so. Uh, so a lot of debate the last day or two about the situation. I mean, what do you what do you make of it? Well, you know, so here, here's the problem from a from a league standpoint in that if you have a situation like that, some of these situations are difficult to prove. Uh, and some of these situations, you, you want to make sure that you don't just have people you know, walking off the field or abandoning games unless there is real credible type of evidence. And look, I'm not I'm not saying that that there wasn't in, in this case, but that's probably why some of these rules and regulations are, are, are put in place to make sure that, you know, once again, that in a, in a strange way, and I, I would hate to think this, this would ever happen, but nobody would ever abuse a situation and try to use it to, to, to their advantage. But, you know, in, in, in this day and age, I would have to feel that, that this player and this team, the fact that there is that they that they felt their only recourse was to go back out on the field and and, and as is the case and probably is the case with this i bet you there's a whole lot more to the story when it comes to how that information was passed along and how it was disseminated between everybody it's you know kind of like that that old telephone game that you play as a, a kid, by the time the message actually gets there, it might not bear any resemblance to what was initially intended uh, out there. But you know this is uh, this is unfortunately 
too common. It's too common in our game. And unless there is direct action taken both at the time and certainly after, uh, after the fact, that it's going to keep happening because people aren't going to recognize that there are consequences to the actions uh, that they take and to the words that they, uh, they ultimately use. All right, what else, Mossy? What else have we got here? Well, that's it for Spain. We can transition to England where, uh, you know, Rory Smith wrote a piece last week really touting the fact that, hey, we might not have any kind of title race because Manchester City are running away with it, but it's shaping up to be an incredible top four race. Yep. And right on cue, Chelsea, who had been in terrific form the last two months, suffer an incredible home defeat to uh, West Brom. They were up 1-0 on a goal by Christian Pulisic. Then Thiago Silva gets himself sent off, and they absolutely crumble down a man. Uh, uh, it ended up being the Mateus Pereira show, this Brazilian for West Brom, who had two goals, two assists, and West Brom get out of there with a 5-2 win at the bridge. Uh, and then to add insult to injury, or I guess add injury to insult, uh, Christian Pulisic uh, injures his hamstring at halftime and, and isn't able to come out come back out and now might face another spell on the sidelines. So oh, I guess where to start, Pulis- where do we start? Yeah. <laughs> All right, first yeah, off, we'll this is Pulis- West Brom, right? Okay. Uh, last time I checked, what 19th going to go down. I mean, this isn't, this isn't top four. Now, Chelsea, like you said, are fighting for f- top four and they are still there. And under Tuchel, it has to be said, I mean, it has been an, a, a massive and positive uh, turnaround. So, this was problematic, and yes, you got a red card. And the the adjustments that teams make when there is a red card um, are are traditional because they work. Okay, <laughs> we all know that you can certainly play ten versus eleven, but you have to adjust, uh, and oftentimes adjust what you the the best laid plans that you had. And at times you have to absorb more pressure. At times you have to be much more of a countering attack, counterattack team. At times you have to give up players in areas of the field that you might not uh, might not want. But there was there was none of that, and it was you know a a eventual capitulation. Uh, to a mediocre to poor team, so this is a this is a bad result in terms of the uh, the inability to grab those three points, and you know in this musical chairs that's going to go on here at the end for the top four, that might be the difference between you being in Champions League and you being in uh, in Europa, and that would be a problem for Chelsea, and that would be a problem for uh, for Tuchel. Um, it you know from a <laughs> from a good perspective is. Christian Pulisic, after a good showing with the national team, the U.S. national team comes back. You think he's got, you know, he's had a little time off. He's been with, well, time off, but a time away. He's been with the uh, the national team, been with, been with his friends over there, scores, you know, scores goals and comes back and he's feeling good, gets a goal uh, on the field. Now you think, oh, now it's translated to Chelsea. And then, like you mentioned, this, this bizarre moment um, and that moment in a nutshell, encapsulated everything that Christian Pulisic is and isn't. You know, the, the, the fragile nature of this player, physically and, you know, probably uh, mentally right now because of the injuries and the consistent injuries that he has experienced, but just the, the whole way that it came down where you see him come out on the field and, you know, I guess, test it out or something like that, and then turn around and obviously say that he can't go, and you know it, the um, pictures are worth a thousand words. The you know the face of Tuchel and 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 all of that kind of stuff. And from an American perspective, you know the the sigh 
and the rolling of the eyes, but none of the surprise, because this is no longer a surprise, that Christian Pulisic once again is, uh, is injured and just cannot stay healthy at a time when we thought he was coming around a corner. We thought that, and he needed kind of to establish himself in Tuchel's eyes, I guess, to reestablish himself. It's just, it's, it's not good. It's not good for him, um, and it's not good for him at Chelsea, all right? Part of me goes, well, I, I want him to do well, but as long as he's healthy for the U.S. national team, if I'm just looking at the U.S. national team, that's what I want. But I, I worry. I worry if he cannot, and he has constantly demonstrated that he can't, have any type of uh, consistency. What did you make of it? No, yeah. I mean, it's it's incredibly frustrating, the stop-start nature to his seasons, and he can't ever get into any sort of flow, any sort of rhythm. It's uh, it's it's a major, major issue, you know, So for obviously both for Chelsea and the U.S. national team. And can, and can I say, look, you know, we are in the business where we, you know, we throw out hot takes and opinions and we, we read body language and we, we, we you know, attach uh, narratives and notions to things that may or may not actually, uh, actually be there. But the, the way that he did this doesn't help those that are looking for or have already found reason to, um, to criticize or worry about Christian Pulisic. And, you know, I know there's an element of, of all of us that say, come on, suck it up. You know, you, 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 we want him to be, for lack of a better word, harder. Um, and when we see these types of things, they just... Like I get, they play in and they confirm suspicions that we have that that he is fragile, and that's not something that that's not something that you want to have attached to you. Any player wants to have attached uh, to them. Is it his fault? No, it's not. It's not his. It's not his. It's not his fault. Um, you know, I always, you know, I always think about: Do players understand the difference between being hurt and being injured? I mean, the last time that I was 100%, I was 10 years old, okay? Uh, so if you're trying to get where you feel 100%, you will never, ever get back there. No matter what, something is not going to be right. And certainly if you go looking for it and you expect it, um, it can become you know, this, uh, this self-fulfilling prophecy uh, uh, going forward. So we'll see how long this keeps him out. Again, this summer is going to be really, really interesting with him and his, and his agent and you know, if, if Tuchel says, look, I'm cleaning house and I'm getting rid of any of that dead weight that I don't feel I need going forward. Uh, and I don't think that it's just about Christian Pulisic. I think there will be others. Uh, so we will see what his Chelsea looks like later on. But, you know, whether Chelsea or anybody else, I think there will be players that are going to be looking for uh, other opportunities, shall we say. All right, what else, Masi? Well, so this is where the top four race stands. I think United are safe. Uh, and Leicester are not safe, but in pretty good shape. It gets really crazy after that. Chelsea are fourth um, on 51 points. Tottenham and Liverpool both two points back. And then you also have West Ham and Everton, and I would cut it off there. Uh, they're in the mix as well. Both those teams, Everton are in action right now against Crystal Palace, while West Ham play later today against Wolves. So we'll have to wait and see uh, those results and where that leaves them. But so uh, pretty crazy race for top four. Liverpool had a nice win. 3-0 away to Arsenal. The incredible Diogo Jota comes off the bench and scores two goals. 
Uh, Fabinho in the midfield where, you know, he belongs. And I think Klopp does have to be second guessing himself. Although he acquitted himself just fine at center back, not having him in the midfield really hurt Liverpool uh, for those games. And so he's back where he belongs. It helps Thiago. It helps the fullbacks, Robertson and Alexander Arnold. So uh, Liverpool coming into form at the right time. Uh, One note on Manchester City. They won two nil away to Leicester. Uh, Sergio Aguero started this match, uh, did not play well, had to come off. Uh, listen, uh, last week it, it was official that he's leaving the club at, at, at the end of the season when his contract runs out. And the man is a legend. You can't say enough about what he's meant to that club. They should build a statue um, for him. I think it's richly deserved. But in all the all the genuflect, all the excuse me, let me start that over. All the genuflecting about his incredible career has sort of. Uh, obscured proper analysis of where he's at right now in his career. And I, I've read a lot the last few days that City have to go out this summer and sign a striker to replace Aguero. Uh, why would they need to replace a guy who's contributed absolutely nothing this season? He has three goals, and yet here they are running away with the Premier League and going for a quadruple. Uh, and I'm actually surprised that Sergio Aguero is being treated as this big prize in the transfer market that all these super clubs are going to fight over. I assumed. Uh, his contract uh, coming to an end with City in having spent the last 15 years in Europe, that he had kind of reached that go back to Argentina phase of his career. And yet you're reading about Juventus, PSG, Barcelona. I mean, listen, I, I love Aguero. He's been one of the great strikers of his generation, but I don't think right now he's he's worthy of all of that. I think people just haven't watched him this season. To me, he's looked, frankly, kind of washed up. Let's be honest. If Sergio Aguero had not announced this, I wouldn't even have thought about Sergio Aguero. <laughs> I mean, this was I, when it. I, I there was a part of me that said, "Who Sergio? Wait, oh, still okay." So, so yeah, and and that's you know, it's it, this is the sport and this is the life that they choose. It's about what are you doing now? And look, he's going to go down as one of the great players ever uh, to play in the Premier League, and certainly from a Man City perspective. And and I think he will have offers going on uh, going on out there. But to your point. They don't. They don't need to replace him because I. Th- I think they've moved. They moved on from him a while ago, uh, and that's that gets back to my point. And I. I, I just want to ask you, you a question, because Klopp came out and and kind of bristled at the at the notion that that this Liverpool team needs to make massive changes or, or even changes you know in general going forward. And it's not that he doesn't want to get better, but he still feels that the group he has and it's been you know, so sporadic and, and fractured because of all the injuries. He still feels that they they just need to tweak here or there um, relative to the to the group that they have. Do you do you agree with him? I do. Yeah. I mean, if if we assume that the injured players are going to come back the way they were before, like Van Dyke, then, yeah, I still think when everybody's healthy, that is a, a fantastic squad. And yeah, they've been linked to this young French defender, Konate, who I like. So yeah, one or two moves like that this summer and and then just getting the healthy players back. And to me, they're, they're right back in business again and will be a top, top contender for the, for the Premier League next season. Okay. All right. Uh, where to now? Uh, next up, if we're going by uh, Jeff Hernandez's run now would be France, which there's only one game we need to. Uh, All right, Mon ami, let's go. Uh, top of the table clash. Uh, Lille go to the Parc de Princes and beat PSG 1-0 on a goal by young Canadian Jonathan David, who is, uh, as young Canadians go, the Robin to Alfonso Davies' Batman. 
Um, and this means Lillard back in first place. They're three points up on PSG with seven rounds left. So it's starting to become a very real possibility that PSG are not going to win league on the season, that Lil will take it. Uh, but the big story here is Neymar gets himself sent off at the end of the game, just a ridiculous, petulant thing where he they, they wanted to try to get the ball back and play quickly. And the little player took his sweet time giving it back to him. And so he shoves the guy and he ends up getting a second yellow. He already picked up a yellow card earlier in the game. Um, and mind you, this is a guy making his first start in two months and he gets himself sent off and now he might get suspended and miss other games. And so uh, it's just triggered again, a lot of uh, conversation about Neymar and rightly so. And, you know, I'm Neymar's biggest fan, but even I'm, sort of kind of jumping off the bandwagon. And, you know, I've I've been thinking about this in the last couple of days. Uh, Neymar and PSG are currently negotiating a contract extension. And every story you read about it, it's viewed entirely through the prism of whether Neymar is willing to commit to PSG. And nobody bothers to ask if it makes any sense for PSG to hand uh, a long-term mega contract to a guy, even if you put aside all the other baggage, just focus on his injuries and, and just how injury prone he's been the last few years, how many games he's missed for them. The fact that he's going to be, he's no spring chicken anymore. He's entering his thirties. Now he's going to, he turns 30 next season. And, and to me, that doesn't make any sense. And yet it's just a given that of course, if he wants, if he wants to resign, PSG are going to resign him. It's a question of whether he's willing to accept their offers or not. I don't know. There needs to be a larger conversation here from the PSG perspective of whether this makes any sense, save your money and go try to sign a younger superstar. I, I think, I mean, what, wow. what are you making of it? Mossy, Mossy <laughs> down on the legends of the game this week. Wow. He's Aguero out of here. What's he? He's old news. Neymar gone. I'm over him. Wow. Who's, who's next? The guys missed half Ouch. their games. I mean, All right, like, okay. it's been, it's, he's been there for four years. It's been objectively a failure and we're going to run it back for another four years. Like I, I don't, <laughs> I don't totally understand that, but okay, uh, okay. But, right. but, but before let's, uh, let's, let's, let's wrap up France here. But you just said, that you still you, so you think that Lil is winning uh, Liga? I think it's at least 50-50 now. You know, you kind of still think push comes to shove, PSG will find a way. But I mean, there's only seven rounds left. They're three points clear. They're they're playing very well. They're not going to drop too many points. And PSG have I mean, looked so shaky that that. Um, I think I whether know. it's I think whether it's Atletico Madrid or Lil, you know, these people, <laughs> it's it's who am I and why am I here? It's uh, you know, what's it, what was his name? James Stockdale or whoever his name is that that ran. It's a long time before you were around, but anyway, it was a famous line there. So I think that they're they're just happy to be there, but they know they're not going to be around there long. Uh, okay, should we go James move Stockdale. on to uh, Italy? James Stockdale was that Ross Perot's running mate? Am I confusing that with another Stockdale? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, years ago. Yeah, so it was, what were you, like two years old back then? 92? <laughs> oh, Italy next. Uh, yeah, this is one where the title race has been put to bed. Uh, Inter beat Bologna 1-0 on a goal by Lukaku, while AC Milan and Juventus both drop points. So this is over. They're 12 points clear of Juve. They're eight points clear of Milan, but with a game in hand. So at this point, Italy, you can just start thinking about top four because Inter are going to win it. Uh, that Juventus uh, game, they, they, they draw Torino 2-2 in the derby. Ronaldo gets a late equalizer. Um, the big story there from an American perspective, Weston McKinney did not play. He got himself in trouble for uh, having a party at his house, which Artur and Paolo Dybala both attended, and it violated the COVID rules. And so 
they, they're in trouble with the law over it, and they're in trouble with Juventus. Andrea Pirlo left them out of this game as a punishment. So disappointing. It's been such a feel-good story, Weston McKinney, this season, how well he's played and how well he's settled there. And now this is a bit of a blemish in that record. But you're kind of rolling your eyes, so you don't think it's that big a deal. Oh, no, I think it's a big deal, but I think it's a, it's a reminder that, look, you're Weston McKinney, okay? Um, pick your friends. I mean, pick who you're associating with and recognize that everybody is not on the same level as you yet. You are still starting your career and you're, you know, <laughs> it's just you want to shake them and say, don't be dumb. But, you know, I was there and I was dumb at times, too. Um, when I was when I was younger, and you make mistakes, and hopefully you learn. I mean, look, you have been given a golden opportunity, and if you play your cards right, uh, you can you can set yourself up for life when it comes to just from a, a practical financial perspective. Okay, but you can also star at one of the world's great clubs. They obviously like you as long as you don't do moronic things off the field, and recognize that. You know who knows? There might be a whole new coach next year. Might come. Might come in and say, "I, I, I don't, I don't rate this Weston McKinney guy. He's gone." Things, things change very fast. So give yourself the best possible chance to be successful. And look, I know that I didn't. I'm, I'm, I'm an old guy, you know, spouting off advice here. And like I said, I made mistakes. Uh, I made mistakes too. But you know, at some point, you hope that you have people around you saying, "Listen, knock it off, knock it off," and. So, you know, hopefully this will be a lesson learned, you know, a little bit harm, but no real foul. Uh, you can go on. And, you know, they didn't, you know, you didn't get Wally pipped uh, with the results. So there's a recognition that, hey, we, we, we do kind of need you. And hopefully they do going forward. But you, the antics will get old very, very quickly. And uh, you're, you know, the, uh, you know, the fungus on the, uh, on the shower shoes is you don't, you're, you don't, you're not there yet. And then finally, Germany, uh, two games worth mentioning here. Uh, Bayern go to Red Bull Arena in a top-of-the-table clash. No Robert Lewandowski. He picked up an injury over the international break, which is going to keep him out for a month. Um, so Chupa Moting started up top, and still Bayern go in there and win 1-0 on a goal by Goretzka, set up by Muller. And so uh, they were up four going into this game. This opens up a seven-point lead with seven rounds to play. Not that any of us seriously thought – uh, you know, we know from covering the Bundesliga the past five years, it's not really about a title race. It's about the illusion of a title race. You just hope mm -hmm. that somebody can make it <laughs> respectable. But uh, this, I think, seals the deal this season. Uh, Seven-point lead with seven to play. No way Bayern are going to cough that up. So they're going to win a ninth straight uh, Bundesliga title. All right. Uh, well, one more, one more, one more. Uh, uh, this is a biggie, actually. Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, won 2-1 away to Dortmund on a late goal by Andres Silva, who, by the way, when I, whenever I rattle off all these talented Portuguese players, I, I usually don't throw him in there. I need to include him because he's having a phenomenal season. Uh, he's the second leading scorer in the Bundesliga behind Lewandowski. Uh, he's ahead of Holland, actually. And this result has some major Holland implications. Uh, Erlen Holland, you know, everything about his career has been very carefully managed. He hasn't been in any rush to get to a super club. When he was at Molde, he already could have gone straight to a big club and instead went to Salzburg. When he was mm -hmm. at Salzburg, he could have gone straight to a big club. Instead, he went to Dortmund. And, and the plan here was for him to stay at Dortmund through the summer of 2022. He even negotiated his contract in such a way where the buyout clause of 75 million euros only kicks in in June of 2022 because that's when he assumed he'd be leaving. And then he wanted that low buyout clause so he would have his pick of any team and, and it would take Dortmund out of the equation. Um, but 
Dortmund not qualifying for the Champions League this season can really sort of throw a monkey wrench into those plans. They are now seven points back of Frankfurt, who are in fourth. Dortmund are in fifth. They're seven rounds of play, so it's looking very unlikely they're going to make it. Erlen Holland loves the Champions League. His uh, ringtone on his phone that he set up as his alarm (laughs) is the Champions League theme song. And so you're now starting to hear some rumblings from his camp, from Holland himself, from his agent, Mina Raiola, from his dad, Alfinge Holland, that if Dortmund were to miss out on the Champions League, then he would strongly consider pushing for a move this summer. Of course, that what that means is then a club would have to negotiate a transfer fee with Dortmund because you wouldn't have that buyout clause. So now you're talking about 150 million euros and, and Dortmund having some say in the matter because they're going to push him to go to wherever club offers them the most money. It might not necessarily be what Holland's top choice would be. So you'd have a little bit of a battle there. But nevertheless, every game Dortmund loses here in the Bundesliga, it pushes Erlen Holland towards leaving this summer when obviously becoming, you know, and that's important because, you know, that he obviously, even at his young age and, and with his inexperience, he still has leverage and he is still recognized as this incredible asset they have that has continued to, you know, increase in, increase in value. But I don't, I don't blame him. And that's, that's something that your elite clubs can offer and have to offer in order to attract the best players in the world. And when you don't have it and you lose it, you know, you're going to have unhappy players and people will be knocking on your door. <laughs> and you're going to have, you know, some decisions to make. Anything else, Mossy? Nothing on the weekend. Then we'll just end quickly on Champions League this week. We talked about these matchups when the draw came out, mm-hmm. um, but just to uh, go over them again: uh, Manchester City host Dortmund on Tuesday. No Jaden Sancho, so my Sancho versus Foden storyline went up in smoke. But Erlen Holland expected to start. City are one of the teams that have been linked with him. City are the one of the clubs his dad, Alfinge Holland, played for. So some neat storylines there. Uh, but I, 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 you know, we did our predictions a week or two ago and I said city and I stand by that. I think they take care of business here. This is the round where Pep, uh, does usually flake out in the Champions League, but fortunately for city, they're facing the flakiest club in all of Europe. So I think Dortmund's bad juju will outweigh Pep's bad juju and, and city will go through. Uh, then you also have Real Madrid, uh, Liverpool. The big development here since we last spoke about this matchup is Sergio Ramos picked up an injury over the international break. So he is out for these two legs. I had already picked Liverpool. That only strengthens my conviction. So I'm going with Liverpool to advance in this tie. Eden Hazard might be back earlier than expected. So he might figure in these couple of games. But frankly, the way he's played since joining Real Madrid, who cares? Um, <laughs> And then on Wednesday, Bayern hosts PSG. When we talked about this a week or two ago, I picked PSG. Robert Lewandowski has since gotten injured and knocked out of these two games. So you think, oh boy, that only strengthens your conviction even more. No, I'm changing my prediction here. (laughs) Um, After watching Bayern this weekend, I've talked myself into the fact that they'll be fine. Now, Chupo Moting started this weekend. I suspect Gnabry will start up front in this game, flanked by Coman, Sané, and Muller. And, and they're just so buying. They're so institutionally solid that they'll, they'll figure out a way to play without Lewandowski. While PSG, all of a sudden, uh, Verratti's out. Uh, Paredes is suspended. And I uh, read today, Alessandro Florenzi tested positive for COVID, so he's out. So they have three big misses. You could argue losing a player like Verratti in the midfield is, is even more significant than Bayern losing Lewandowski because losing Verratti fundamentally changes the way PSG play and how Pochettino is going to set up the team. And then you have this whole issue with Neymar now. Where's his head at? So PSG are a mess. So I'm switching my prediction to Bayern in this tie. Um, and Wait, then, you can do that? I didn't even know you could do that. All right, <laughs> fine. Okay, and then, fine. And then, and then lastly, uh, Porto take on Chelsea. 
this, th these two matches, by the way, will be in Seville. Uh, all the other games I mentioned are occurring in the stadium where they were supposed to occur. But this Porto-Chelsea first leg, uh, because of COVID, was moved to, to Sevilla. And the second leg in this tie will also be in Sevilla. And, you know, Porto pulled off that great upset over Juventus. I know you feel like I'm disrespecting him. But despite what happened to Chelsea this weekend, despite Christian Pulisic's uncertain status, I still expect Chelsea to take care of businesses. So I think we're going to have three English teams and Bayern in the semifinal. Okay, well, what we've established so far in this podcast is you hate Sergio Aguero, you hate Neymar, and you hate Porto. Got it. Okay, well, we will look forward to those. Fun week of, uh, of, of matchups here. Anything else, Mossy? That is it. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, we will have, oh, yes, Ask Alexa. <laughs> All right, we're back, and it's time for Ask Alexi. You use that hashtag, Ask Alexi. You send us in some comments, questions, and concerns out there, and we pick a few each week, as we have done this week. What do the people want to know about or talk about this week, Mossy? Uh, first up, Jason Smith. As an MLS fan, why should I be excited about all of the young, talented players being sold to Europe? Shouldn't I want to keep them playing on the team I support in MLS? It is a good question. And I, I put myself in the shoes of a potential ticket buyer who is faced with this, it's not a dilemma, but this situation um, of supporting a team and yet the success, uh, either the way that the individual player looks at it or the way that the club promotes it, is relative to oftentimes leaving the actual league that you are being asked to support uh, and to spend your money on. Uh, I do think that that this is a, and this is a much bigger uh, picture, this is a battle for hearts and minds. Um, this is a battle to change perception. I mean, look, we, we see time and time again where the, the simple act of stepping on soil over in Europe can change the way that you look at a player. I mean, the power and magic of, of Europe is beyond debate at this point. It can change and it can shape uh, perspective and you know it can obscure and it can distort reality, but ignore it at your own peril. And I think MLS has recognized that it can provide dividends, uh, it can provide pathways, it can provide opportunities, it can provide credibility. So when this type of stuff happens, the credibility for your team increases. Now, does that help you in terms of deciding whether to spend money on it? Because, you know, you want to see the best players playing in the stadium that you're going to see and on the television uh, when you are watching uh, that team. I, I, I totally get that. But, and, and this maybe is appealing to your, to your greater sense of responsibility and pride and connection to the American soccer culture that we have, in that I do think that you can take pride. I do think that you can rejoice and be happy and celebrate, and like I said, take pride in one of, one of your player, whether it's your particular player from a club or your player from a league, experiencing this, oftentimes you know, making history and doing things that haven't been uh, done before. Now, that only gets us so far. MLS, from the time it started, has guarded against being pigeonholed as a development 
feeder minor league type of uh, league. And they do not want to, and I still think they don't want to, despite, you know, kind of changing their views. They don't want to be viewed as a uh, Eredivisie type of scenario that is always just fostering talent and then moving them on. They want to be viewed as a destination, a league of choice. So at some point, you have to step up and make it worth the while of these players. And, you know, they, they grow up watching and they grow up dreaming about these opportunities. And there's nothing that you can do about, uh, about that until you start to change the perception of your league, until you start to compete, until you start to spend more money. And I'm not telling them anything you don't know. Once again, it's real easy to spend other people's money. But that's, you know, that's the problem right now. So I guess to answer your, to answer your question... Take pride in it. Take pride that somebody who grew up doing maybe some of the same things that you did, you know, mom and dad coaching, orange peels and juice boxes at halftime, a youth soccer system that's a whole lot more robust than, than when I was growing up, but still that is coming from maybe even your neck of the woods, maybe even played with them or something like that, and now is being looked at, either reality or perception, doesn't really matter, but the perception right now is that, that they are the highest level and that they are doing something uh, special. And I know that doesn't necessarily satisfy the economic part. Um, and when you are on the phone with that man or woman from that team that is calling you, it's, I think it's completely fair to ask, why should I do this when all of our best players are just going to leave? And, um, and you are faced with being this brokenhearted, jilted type of lover uh, as somebody moves on to something bigger, uh, bigger and better. All right, what else, Mossy? Uh, next up... Uh- this question requires a little bit of context. So uh, Grant Wall did what I thought was an excellent interview with my favorite player, my favorite human being, the Brazilian Ronaldo, who is currently the, uh, the owner of uh, a Spanish team named Valladolid, who are facing Barcelona today. Uh, and Ronaldo previously was part owner of the NASL's Fort Lauderdale Strikers. And in the uh, interview uh, Grant Wall did with him, Ronaldo recounts this conversation he had with Don Garber in which uh, he met with Don Garber and, and sort of extolled the virtues of promotion relegation and said, boy, I wish you would adopt it. That way, you know, I could get my team for a lot of those strikers up to MLS. And Don Garber kind of said, no, that would never work here. And if, if you want to be in MLS, you've got to pay the expansion fee. And so as you expect, uh, uh, critics of, uh, of the MLS closed system and proponents of ProRel jumped all over this and, and, and we're talking about it on Twitter as an example of everything that's wrong with MLS's closed system. Uh, but you kind of defended Don Garber a little bit. And so this guy, uh, Tyler Vermilia asked essentially about this. Do you think it's right that, you know, what Don Garber said to Ronaldo? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and look, Don Garber, I think, uh, you know, um, has, has denied that he, that, he, that he said this, but it's absolutely right to say it. And, you know, I, uh, this comes from a, a tweet that I, uh, that, I, uh, that I responded to that article. And I basically said he, Ronaldo, uh, wanted to be let into the club, but he didn't want to pay the cover, right? And we've all, we all know those that have kind of uh, tried to play that off. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And by the way, it's a pretty big cover charge right now. And it's a pretty exclusive uh, uh, club right now. And that's how it was built. That's how it functions. Uh, and that's how it's going to continue to function, especially because people have paid so much money uh, to get into it. And why should you be given something uh, something for free? And so immediately people, 
you know, that type of comment from me is immediately, you know, taken up and said, this is what is wrong with the American system. Um, this is what is wrong with Major League Soccer and the single entity and the, the you know, the closed type of system and all that. And so, you know, he, this person recognized that what I was saying was the reality of what was happening and then asked me, but you think it's right? Yes, it's right for someone that has built up a business, that has built up this club that is very, very exclusive, that has a very, very expensive fee to get into, to expect you or anybody else to also pay that if you expect to get in and not to give you something for free. And you're demanding that you have, uh, that you be let in or be given, you know, a, uh, a room that to me doesn't make any sense at all. Now, you might go you might go start your own club and you don't have to have a cover charge. All right? You can let anybody in that wants to come in as long as they have a beaten heart. That's fine. Have at it. I will support it 100%. As I said before, time and time again and I'll, and I'll say it again. I got no problem with promotion relegation, okay? But I don't think it should be mandated on on MLS and uh you know, and so when I when I hear the response to Garber, it makes complete sense to me, and I don't see why everybody is up in arms and using it as this uh, you know this example of why MLS isn't uh, isn't you know is is destined not to be great uh, going forward. So yeah, I mean, I do think it's right. I think it is right in the structure that MLS decided on, and in doing so created the most successful professional league in American soccer history. And I think it's right, whether he said it or not, okay, to tell somebody that believes that they should be let in for free to get the hell out, all right? You wanna pay? Fine, come on in, you can have a good time, and you can be part of what we are doing here. And if you don't, see ya. All right, what else? And we'll end on this, Night Winds asks, do you ever feel left out by not having a quote-unquote team? I know you love to watch a super club, but feeling the highs and lows of supporting one side can be quite the ride. Hmm. Interesting. You're right in that I don't have a specific team that I live and die for each and every week. And maybe that gives me a, a different type of perspective. Um, and maybe maybe my perspective is hurt at times because I, I, I don't have that. Um, but I'm never... Um, I don't feel left out because I don't have it. I think at times it can, it can make you feel and do and say things that are so based in emotion and, and personal feeling that they can be completely irrational. And look, at times it can be amusing and it can be fun, and, it, and even at times it can probably be good TV. But because I don't necessarily have a horse in the race... I think that I can, I can, I can have a better perspective, and I think I can, you know, play the field a, a, a whole lot better, a whole lot better. But ultimately, I don't feel like I'm I'm missing everything. And I've tried over the years to say, oh, I'm going to follow this team this year and see if it see if it takes, and it doesn't. I, you know, I'm uh, I'm an equal opportunity fan in there. Whatever moves me, it moves me. And yes, I recognize that not having that connection may be means that that I can't always relate to somebody that does have that connection going forward. But I'm not going to change it just to change it. 
if something moves me in a way that I feel like this is a team that deserves my attention and my connection, then I will do that. I'm not, I'm not hell bent on not having one. It just, it is just never, it never took. So what else, Mossy? That is it. All right, we're going to take another quick break. Uh, and when we come back, it's the end of our show, which means one for the road. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. It is the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. This week, I was, I was thinking about uniforms, jerseys, kits. I'm sorry, kits, if you, if you prefer out there. And certainly the incredible history with sports and the incredible history when it comes to soccer uh, jerseys out there. Uh, as, we, as we often mention, Major League Soccer is, what, 26 years old. And so when, when, when it came about in the mid-90s, it was reflective in pretty much everything on and off the field, including the way that we were outfitted. And uh, the reason why I bring this up is because um, we are recording this on a Monday. On Tuesday, they are actually putting out a line. When I say they, MLS is putting out a line of retro uh, types of throwback uh, jerseys and uh, merchandise out there. And it, it, it warms the cockles of my old redheaded uh, MLS heart to see something like this. They were kind enough actually to send me a few. You can actually see a little bit of what I'm talking about here if you want. This is uh, a, a retro revolution jersey they got all sorts of stuff they have like you know this is a uh, you know this is a what like a, a hoodie with short sleeves so maybe it's a throw a throwback uh, or an homage to bill belichick or something like that i should probably give these people a plug because they sent me this stuff which was very nice mitchell and ness so you can find all of that tomorrow and you know it, it as i said because it happened in the 90s, uh, there was 90s splashed over everything. There was in huge, huge jerseys. I mean, the sizes that we wore that were ridiculous. It, it's of a time and of an era, and we didn't think twice about it. We didn't, didn't think twice that we were wearing tents, basically. We didn't think twice that we could fit three players into what we were wearing. We woke up in the morning, or we were in the uh, locker room getting ready to play a game, and whatever we were wearing, it was cool back then necessarily cool later on, although what I'm seeing and what they probably are, are banking on here is that there is this nostalgia type of phase. And look, when we talk about, I don't know, high-waisted jeans or members-only jackets or whatever, it's all cyclical. It all comes back around. And the, uh, the love and I guess the renewed appreciation for some of these crazy color schemes and styles and even names of teams that MLS started with um, I, th I think that they are, like I said, I think they are banking on, on that. And it's, it is a source of, of pride, as maybe embarrassing to some uh, these, these uniforms and these jerseys are. It's still part of that history. And it's, it's obviously a very uh, big and bombastic, as the 90s were, part of our history. And pretty much everybody went with that, except maybe DC United, which is a little more classic in their approach. And some of them still hold up to this day. Some of them maybe not so much. But 
uh, it's still, it's a fun part of the past to celebrate because there is a history now when it comes to, and I'm not just talking about MLS, I'm talking about American soccer. And all of these things are part of who we are. And all of these things combined um, have, have been thrown into the bowl to make us this incredible mix of a soccer nation and a soccer culture uh, that we have. And so whether it's the revolution or the burn or the whiz uh, or any of those other teams out there in the way that they looked yeah, they might not look that way if we were to do it again today, but in that moment, they were they were awesome. I thought that they were awesome, and even to this day, I kind of like uh, I, I kind of like them, and I will step up and I will defend the uh, the color and the schemes and all of that stuff that, that we had back there. And and mark my words, uh, there are younger people that will look at it and say, "Man, that is that is kind of cool." So what what goes around comes around. And so get your hands on some of these. Maybe we'll, we'll give some of these away uh, because they sent me a couple of, maybe we'll give some of these away to some of our uh, listeners and loyal and faithful watchers out there. Maybe, maybe next week, uh, if people want it, um, you send in an Ask Alexi and uh, you can add on that you might want this one. I'm not, I know not everybody's a, a New England Revolution fan. I get it. But there's all the different teams, especially all the, uh, the OG teams out there that are, uh, that are part of that. And like I said, they were nice enough to send me some stuff there. And it just, you know, it got me thinking about the past and all the nostalgia of what that league was when it started back in 1996 and what it is right now. All the good, bad, and in between, warts and all. It's not perfect, but it is, as I say time and time again, it's, it's our thing. It's La Cosa Nostra. And I remain immensely proud of everything uh, that, uh, that went into starting that, including <laughs> the, the crazy uniforms or jerseys or, okay, kits. All right. Thank you so much for uh, joining, this, uh, joining us this week on the State of the Union podcast. We'll be back uh, again next week. Same time, same place. Keep re uh, reviewing and uh, downloading and subscribing and doing all the different things that you do. Make sure to use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there when you're sending us uh, questions, comments, and concerns. We will talk again next week here on the State of the Union. And until then, and as always, size the day. Yeah.